you know, I, I felt like turnabout is fair play, and after all the lawyer jokes I've told from the pulpit, um, here's an opportunity for you to redeem yourselves, but we don't believe you can redeem yourself. So, uh, not lawyers, but just generally speaking. Um, and so it's, it's my great pleasure to have uh, Jim Goyer and Jay Ezel and Ron Flowers, uh, all lawyers. And um, I just always think it's very interesting, you know, people talk about, you know, your workplace as, as your mission field. And I'm sure you look at me and say, well, Andrew, that should be very easy for you. Uh, and, and it is easier uh, than, than most. But um, what does it mean? Does it make a difference to be uh, a Christian in accounting? Does it make a difference to be a Christian in advertising? Does it make a difference to be a Christian uh, as a lawyer? And where does faith intersect with, with that? And so let's pray, and then um, we'll talk. Okay. If you hear a beep, it's billable hours. They're, 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 <laughs> Sorry, that was the only joke I'll make. Only joke I'll make. Sure. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your call on our lives, uh, regardless of where you place us to do uh, your work. Uh, we give you thanks, and we pray that you would steal us and equip us uh, to do the work that you have given us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I would actually love to hear, uh, what made you want to become a lawyer? Well, I was uh, in college, and I was taking English and it was something I enjoyed doing reading and writing and talking about what I'd read and, and so I knew some people that were lawyers that I respected so it just I was sort of naturally drawn to it I had a four-year segue in the Navy that convinced me that law was a better way to go uh, I sort of ended up a lawyer by happenstance more than uh, actual planning I uh, was a biochemistry major, and uh, just not a very good one. And when I realized that I was not going to med school, I didn't want to be a scientist. I just looked for somewhere else to go to school, and uh, decided on law school. Just ended up that I liked it. Now, I mean, you, you say you're a bad biochemistry major, but just remind us of how old you were when you graduated from a law school. Okay, didn't know you were going to go there. Uh, yeah, so I was 23. 23 when you graduated from law school. Okay, next. <laughs> just, just wanted to clarify that. Ron, uh, tell us how you, you got called into the profession of law. I wish I had a better answer for this, but it's similar to Jay. Um, I was a finance major in, in, in college and was, con I, you know, I took a constitutional law class in, in, in college and really enjoyed it. And, you know, I thought, well, that's what I would be doing when, if I went to law school, which, it, you know, <laughs> it was a lot more glamorous than what it turns out to be. But um, I think it was also a way just to avoid entering the real world for three more years. Um. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> most of y'all know, I, I felt called to ordination at a young age. And so... Um, that, uh, that was good in a lot of ways, but it didn't really do much for my dating career in college. Uh, so I would just lie and say I was pre-law. And, um, and, it, and it, it, seemed, it seemed to work uh, it, to an extent. But, you know, I mean, it, it just sort of, it, it seems like, uh, and I don't know if this is changing. You can probably speak to this. But sort of the best and the brightest... I mean, we'll, we'll strive after things like medical school, law school, uh, and now the big one is, you know, working for like McKinsey or Bain or 
BCG or a, a consulting organization like that. What, um, what, what sets the practice of law uh, apart like that? Why, why is it, there seem to be a pretty steady gravitation, and if there still is, toward the law? Well, historically, from the Middle Ages, you had three classical professions, the ministry, law, and medicine. And it's always been identified as a profession. I think that a lot of people are talking today that there's been a paradigm shift in the law since 07, 08, 09, and it's gotten much more like a business. And there's a pressure on law firms to provide a commodity rather than uh, be a profession. And so I think we're undergoing some change. One of the things you said are people gravitating to the law. I talked to the dean of the Cumberland Law School recently. He said that in 2004, 100,000 people in the United States applied to law school. In 2014, only 50,000. Yeah, I, I see this, too, in, in, in particularly in our recruiting efforts. Um, I'm not sure it's necessarily a good thing, um, always. I don't, I don't think that we do a very good job uh, with our children guiding them to their calling as opposed to guiding them to areas that are lucrative, socially acceptable uh, areas. And so I see a lot of young people coming in to the law with really no desire to be there, you know, other than that's the path that they've been on. Um, and I think that leads to a, a high level of the uh, dissatisfaction that a lot of lawyers have um, is that they were on that path very early on and they were always afraid, I think, to get off and do something else. Uh, you can see that. Uh, my experience has been the lawyers who really love it are passionate about it uh, and it sort of shows up. Uh, the ones who are sort of there uh, just to get the paycheck, you know, tend to get consumed by it. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I think that you know, we probably could do a much better job of directing young people to a true calling, um, you know, rather than sort of an acceptable profession. Right, and y'all can chime in at any time. You don't don't feel the need to go down the road. So if you have nothing else to say, or um, say just jump in. I, no, I think those were, were both good answers. And I think, I mean, it's seen as a way, I mean, people have seen it as a way to give, a, to make a good living um, in, a, in an intellectual manner. And, and it's, it's, it's an interesting field. Um, but I think, as Jim said, it, it's becoming, it's, it's not seen as a sure thing that you go to law school now, you, you get out, you get a job, um, you learn the practice, you make a good living now because it's a lot more competitive. Um, a lot of people who graduate law school, I mean, I think some law schools, it's as much as 70% don't, don't have jobs when they come out. And then they can't learn the practice from um, working for people with, with more experience, and it, and it just becomes more difficult. Um, Jim, you had mentioned that, I can you had mentioned that um, things started 07, 08, 09. Was that because the economy, uh, when the recession hit, is that what changed? The ethos of law? Well, there's a tremendous pressure on uh, the business world to uh, deal with the loss of profits. And the way they went about that was by uh, 
decreasing expenses and it was easy to turn to outside law firms and say we want you to do the same job at half the price. And so that has consequences. One of the things that lawyers are finding out is they can't escape the law of economics and supply and demand. So if there are too many lawyers and not enough business, then the price of the lawyer's charge goes down and then the, the number of new hires goes down. And it just flows down like that. Jay, you had mentioned um, just being passionate about the law, and I'd be curious to hear what all of y'all say. I mean, there, there actually was a point in time where I was dating a girl who said, you know, you really ought to be a lawyer and not a minister. And uh, Lauren married me anyway. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I actually took the LSATs, and I have a, a close friend, and uh, we've been a lawyer for many years, and he said, the law is a very expensive hobby. He said, if you're not into it, you'll be miserable. Um, how, how true is that, and, and what is it that gets people passionate uh, about the practice of law? Yeah, so first, I, I never dated anybody that said I should be a minister instead of a lawyer. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that says. My uh, wife said she'd divorce me if I wanted to be a minister. <laughs> um, you know, being a lawyer is not something that uh, really has much leverage to it in the sense of the business world. That is, you can't have a really great idea and then use that idea to continue to make money off of it. All three of us being defense lawyers were, you know, all paid by the hour. And, and so to do your job, you just bill by the hour. It's, you know, so you're living under the clock. That can be very difficult. The, the other part of it, I think, is it is not intuitive in the sense that uh, you can be the smartest lawyer uh, and be a horrible advocate for your client in the sense it requires hard work you got to go you got to interview the witnesses read the documents uh, and if you don't do that you can't fake it uh, so if you don't enjoy it you know then the you know 12 hour days go by really slowly uh, so but if you like it and it's, and it's a passion for you, then uh, you know. Then it really can be very satisfying. Do you, do you, Ron, you find? I mean, this is if this is too sensitive, you can say no. I don't want to answer. But I mean, do you, I mean is, is it fulfilling? I mean, is, is there is there a sense of satisfaction where at the end of the day you feel like I've done something good? Yeah, I think in your interactions with clients, and, and clients come to you with with problems, um, and it, I mean. I think that having the um, relationships and building those relationships and being able to help them I mean, as best you can, um, but, but that's rewarding, it's fulfilling. I mean, I think all, all jobs, all, all professions, you know, there are going to be times when you're not feeling very fulfilled, but then there are definitely times when um, you, you're loving what you're doing and, you know, you're, um, you're getting satisfaction from it. Were all of y'all Christians before you became lawyers, or did you become lawyers and then become Christians? I would say for myself that I was a nominal Christian, kind of follow along in my parents' footsteps. And I graduated from law school and got married the same summer, and that's kind of when I marked my beginning as a, whatever term you want to use, authentic Christian. Did, did the law have anything, law school, the study of the law, did it have anything to do with it, or what was it that, that made it click for you? Marriage vows. <laughs> uh, 
Jay. Right. Top That's, fat. Yeah. I, I, I'm declining to go after that. <laughs> I can't stop that. Uh, no, I, I was a Christian uh, before I went to law school. Um, though, you know, I think all of us sort of have that uh, spiritual journey. Um, and for me, probably the first time I really truly thought about being a Christian lawyer, I mean, really thought about it was uh, when I had cancer and I, you know, really re-examined. And it was only at that point that I really had to think about what is it I should be doing in this world? I mean, it's a, uh, a bad prognosis will make you think about those things. And it was then I was, you know, and you talked about the, <clears throat> you know, the, the closeness of the ministry and the law, and there, and there is a lot of connections there. And I so wanted God to call me into the ministry, really because it sounded like a great story, you know. Lawyer gets cancer, decides to go into ministry. That's awesome. Uh, and I wasn't. You know, and I just wasn't. And, and, you know, I prayed about it, and I prayed about it. Uh, and I truly came to the conclusion at that point that it was a calling for me. Uh, and I'm still not sure why, uh, but I, I felt uh, a great sense of comfort that that's what I was called to do. But that was the first time I really, truly had really prayed about doing my job and what that meant to me as a Christian. What did, what did it look like after, after that, your, your job? It, it certainly was different. My whole life was different um, in, in how, I, how I focused on it. Um, I was less controlled by it. Uh, I was more comfortable, uh, you know, letting go of certain issues. Uh, and not sort of chasing after the next big win. But in terms, of, I think it also made me a better lawyer uh, in the sense that I felt comfort that God called me to do this job and do it very well and to represent my clients zealously. Uh, and I think if you think about, and I don't think this is any way limited to the law, but if you think about your profession, your job, as a sense of a biblical calling, as God's calling to you, um, to me, you become a better worker. I mean, you, you're doing that then. It's not what you do from Monday to Saturday, but it's, it's part of what you're here to do. One thing I'd say, too, I think it's sort of an easy surface contrast to say Christian versus lawyer, but... I think everybody faces the same issue. We're all human beings subject to sin. How are we going to make that transition to become the people God wants us to be? You know, when the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, you got good lawyers, you got bad lawyers, you got good business people, you got bad business people. You have good priests and bad priests. You know, we're all human beings at the end of the day. Yeah, when I, if I'm locked up in the county jail, uh, I'm, not, I'm not looking through the yellow pages for the lawyer with a little Christian fish on their head. <laughs> I'm looking for the lawyer that's going to get me out. <laughs> Ron, how about you? Um, I was a Christian when I went to law school, when I started practicing law. Um, my you know, beliefs and expectations, I had much more faith in my abilities um, and I would say humanity in general. I think that through the practice of law, it, it, it opens your my view up to 
my sin, um, kind of the low anthropology of um, just what motivates people, that we're all basically, and we're, we're all sinful, we all are needy, um, and I, I think that law has, has just, through dealing with people's issues, seeing people, uh, <clears throat> we, I do labor and employment law, and so, um, you know, we see what employees do, and, and, and they're, we, we don't call, get called about good employees, like you were saying in the sermon, we get called with the, the problem employees. Um, and it's, it's um, just it's given me a better sense of the human condition and my need that, that I can't control things the way I did, thought I could when I got out of law school. And I, you know, my journey is not within my control, it's in God's. And, and I think through practicing law and through dealing with people, through, you know, inter- interacting with the law firm outside the law firm, I think that's come, that's certainly deepened my faith. Have you all ever been in a place where uh, you're all defense attorneys? And so have you ever been in a place where you've, and you don't have to name names, uh, but where you've thought, my, my faith is making me feel conflicted about this? And, and how, because I think one of the questions a lot of people ask, people who go into law, how can you defend someone who may be guilty? Well, I think that it's a question of integrity and honesty and transparency and the obvious answer to that question is yes. I'll tell you this, the lawyers in Alabama are subject to the Code of Professional Responsibility, which is the ethics rules, and it says here, quote, in the nature of law practice, however, conflicting responsibilities are encountered. Virtually all difficult ethical problems arise from conflict between a lawyer's responsibility to the clients, to the legal system, and to the lawyer's own interest in remaining an upright person while earning a satisfactory living. Such issues must be resolved through the exercise of sensitive professional and moral judgment guided by the basic principles underlying the rules. And I would add, if you're a Christian, guided by your Christian faith. And as the dean was talking about this morning, you know, which takes preeminence? That's where the conflict comes in. Yeah, it's, and and we all do litigation, and I think in, in the world of litigation, we have a very simple way to avoid it is you have a jury at the end that's going to judge you and the thing that will make a jury the most upset is dishonesty uh, you know or, or trying to take advantage of the system and so we're able to use that but I, I have had situations where in fact as a young lawyer uh, I had a client and uh, I was working with our senior lawyer time my mentor and we're working on a Saturday and about noon, he took off, and you know, I sort of continued on, and we we're working on it. And we had a deposition on Monday. It just wasn't didn't sound right, so it kept going, kept going, kept going, and finally he just broke. All right, we did it. I said, "What? Wait, wait, wait!" You know, and you know, he just spilled the beans, and I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so I mean, I literally, you know, got off. You know, left a message for the senior partner, like, we got a problem, we got a big problem. Uh, luckily, we were able to guide the client. Uh, it wasn't just a civil issue either, it was a criminal issue. Uh, and uh, instead of taking the deposition on Monday, we went to the U.S. Attorney's Office. And uh, he was able there, he was the first one to get there, he got the best deal. Um, so, but it was, there was never a question, and this was, this is, I think, the importance of having a good mentor, mm-hmm. There was never a question of we were going to put him 
in a deposition and allow him to lie. Um, that was just, one, that's bad lawyering. And two, it was just not something we were going to allow to happen. At the end of the day, it was good lawyering for him because he was able to get a deal um, out of it. Um, so I think if, and I think good lawyers have the, you know, sense of looking down the road. I think a lot of times where mistakes happen is they're blinded by the immediacy of the moment instead of looking at when you're going to be judged about it. Uh, and if you have good counsel that can say, wait, there's going to come a time where you're going to have to sit in front of people and tell them this story. Do you want to do that? Most people very quickly decide they don't want to do that. Um, yes, I, I mean, I, I think the, the answer is yeah. I mean, we're, we have our clients, and we are, our duty and our, our job is to represent our clients and do so zealously and, and to serve their interests. I mean, in, in doing so, we encounter others, whether it's, and what I do, a lot of times it's employees. Um, it can be opposing counsel, it can be plaintiffs. Um, and, you know, their interests are, are, um, are adverse to, to can, can be adverse to those other parties. And so, I mean, from time to time, you think, well, you know, if we do, I mean, if this person gets terminated, if this happens, you know, you think of that person, but your job is to think of, of the clients. And so I, I see conflict sometimes there, um, but, but basically in, in doing my role, it's to um, serve the clients, to be a, to be a servant to the clients, um, basically. I mean, what does that feel like? I mean, to, to have, I mean, most of our jobs, we don't have this, now it's time to judge you uh, moment. And I know that really the verdict is for, your, for or against your client. Uh, but at the same time, how do you not take that personally, and how do you not get emotionally entangled and feel that that, that guilty verdict is just as much a judgment upon you as it is your client? I don't know that I succeed in that. I mean, you, I think you do feel that it's, I mean, because you, you get wrapped up in it, you want to win, and, you know, just naturally, if you lose, I mean, it feels bad. It feels like you've, you've lost. I mean, we... We don't go to trial very often, I would say. I mean, we have, um, as, as far as trials in front of juries, they just don't happen as much in our field of law as they used to. Um, but whether it's a brief that you're trying to get a case dismissed, you lose. Whether it's a administrative hearing, um, it, 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 I mean, I, 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 I react, my first reaction is generally, well, I'm, I'm upset and I feel like I've lost. But then remember, well, it's not about, I mean, it's a... Have you ever had a client console you? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, I would say, too, that, uh, and this is universal, some of the conflicts are not quite as stark as is your client telling the truth. Question, you know, I, Matthew Snyder said something last week that stuck with me about how suffering is often brought on by uh, the death of idols. And all of us face these idols in our lives, particularly lawyers do. You want to win. You want to uh, make a lot of money. You want prestige. You want power, you know, versus the uh, what are the values of God's king kingdom. And those can come in conflict early and often. So in that, in that moment of judgment, I can't imagine. I mean, you, you want to, you're glad to get the case over, I'm sure, the trial. But, I mean... You don't, I mean, what kind, I mean, are you always nervous in that moment? Yeah, I think there's always uh, a level of nervousness 
um, you know, because you know, by the time you get to a trial, I mean, you've typically spent two to three years uh, working on this, uh, and you you do become very uh, involved in it. I think <clears throat> there there is you have to have some level of separation in, in that you you aren't the underlying actor, uh, but you are their advocate. Uh, and I think you have to have the satisfaction that you did the best you could do. You made the best argument, but you're always, at least I am, I'm always going back, second guessing, should I've done something differently, uh, you know, those sorts of things, um, you know, because you want to make sure you do the best, you know, for your client. Uh, you know, having a, a, a profession that, that operates pretty much constantly under a cloud of judgment, how does that impact the way you father and the way that you're a husband? Does it make you more aware of, of judgment in your own home? Not that your spouses are judging you, uh, but, but in the way that I'm thinking more about the way that you interact with them. Well, my wife says I'm always trying to take her deposition. Is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's hard to turn it off. I mean, being a litigator, you're used to challenging people, asking a lot of questions, and that isn't necessarily a good role model to be a father or a husband yeah it's it's the uh, you know it's the law and grace and and, and we are um, uh, you know wrapped up in the law all day and uh, I do have a hard time turning it off um, and you know there have been times where you know, I, I have a child that does something Habeas corpus has been suspended. Oh, right, right. I, I have laid down, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm done. I'm sort of like that was pretty good. <laughs> you know, and, and, and my wife Caroline look at me like, don't you think that was a little harsh? Like, oh, yeah. Um, so it, it is very hard uh, for me uh, to turn it off. And I, I look, I think, in a sense, we're all natural-born lawyers that way. I mean, I think uh, uh, that we we often sort of turn to that, but. But I think if you're dealing with that every day, there's you sort of switch into that uh, advocacy mode or litigation mode. Um, I, can I turn this question to Beth? <laughs> no, um, I, I think I would say a little bit differently that I, um, given that, like you said, you're always under ju judgment. You've got deadlines. Um, you've got client expectations. You've got courts. That um, you've got your fellow partners. Um, I think that I, it's helped me to see that you know our kids don't necessarily need us to. They're going to be judged by by society and what they and what they turn out and what they do. They're going to you know it's it's not up to us to to enforce the law on them um, to get them to understand what they. I mean we have to teach them, but 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 judging them is not going to produce the the results that we think they're going to do, and so. Of course, they need judgment at times, but they don't need to be under us. It would have, have judgment um, coming from us, and, and that be the message they re receive from us on a day-to-day -day basis. Would, um, and Jim, this might, this is a little bit different for you, but would you, if, if one of your kids said, I think I want to be a lawyer, or they did say, I think I want to be a lawyer, what would you say and what did you say to them? Well, I had that experience. My young, youngest child was debating that. He applied to law school and got admitted. 
and he asked me about it, and I said, look, you got to make your own mind up about this. If you really want to be a lawyer, go to law school. If you're just looking for somewhere to park yourself, I wouldn't go. And so he has decided, at least for the time being, to put it on hold, and he's doing something else. I think our first question would be why. Why do you want to go? Um, I, I do think our children will, will benefit in that they will see the downside of the daily life of a lawyer. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's there are a lot of professions uh, where you can spend a lot more time with your family. Uh, and so I think uh, they'll see that. Um, I just want them to choose something that they really feel called to do. And I want them to really, you know, pray about it and think about it, you know, that that's their, their true calling rather than just going into it because their dad was doing it. Yeah, if, I mean, if that happens, I mean, I think we have three kids, so there's a very good chance that that could happen. But um, similar to Jay, I mean, I, I don't want to try to guide them to it or away from it. I think, I mean, it, that's not going to work, number one. But it, ultimately, if they're doing it because, they, because I did it or um, that's what they think they should do, then they're not going to be that's not ultimately going to be what they want to do. So, you know, I think if that's something they'd be interested in, you know, like Jay said, they've seen what it, um, ha how a lawyer lives and just exposing them to it to um, make it sure they understand well, what that might entail if that's what they become. I'm sure that you all have lots of questions. I mean, I still have a lot of questions. <laughs> I feel like we just scratched the surface of it, but I'll open it up. Let me just say one thing before y'all start asking any questions. <laughs> I went back and looked, and you got a lot of lawyers around here. Out of the last 32 senior wardens, 11 of them were lawyers. Now, I don't know if that says that the deans don't have good judgment or what. <laughs> the current senior warden, the current junior warden, the current treasurer, and the current clerk of the vestry, all four of them are lawyers. So you can't kill us all. <laughs> I would say this, Larry Gibson used to talk about uh, Christian morality works very well on a one-to-one -one basis. It doesn't work well on a group basis, such as between nations. Uh, do we turn the other cheek to Nazi Germany, for example? But when you, what do you do when two people have a dispute? The way I look at litigation is it's a dispute resolution measure when the individual clients can't work out their differences. It's a substitute for them going to blows and shooting each other. So we're the intermediaries to try to work that out. And the truth of the matter is that 90% plus of cases end up settling, don't go to trial, particularly in the commercial area. Businesses aren't willing to roll the dice with juries. It's just too unpredictable. So this is a way for people who have an unresolved dispute to achieve some sort of uh, resolution. And I think that if I were advising individuals on bringing their own cases, um, which I'm, I don't do, 
and I'm prim primarily dealing with corporations, that that would be something that causes conflict. And that, um, I mean, my job would be to represent their best interests as a, um, you know, as a, with, with the dispute that they have and, to, and, and to, to serve them, not to be their spiritual counselor. But I, I think that that's something that oftentimes, you know, it, it may not, what, what Paul's saying um, may be something that they need to hear. But that, that wouldn't be my role, so I, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be something that I should, um, uh, that I should say to them, I would say. I've actually said that a lot. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I've been thrown in, in, in between parties and lawsuits. I mean, so bad that in my past parish, they would all come to church together, and they would switch sides for the communion line so they didn't end up on the same side of the rail. Now, the rail was only 15 feet long, so I thought, yeah. good grief. Um, but uh, it, was, it was a real mess, and, and the thing that I noticed more than anything is, is pride and this fear that somebody's going to get away with something. And, uh, and sometimes it works itself out, and sometimes it, it doesn't. Jim? I'd like to go back to some the way you led it off and said, uh, really, I think that from my experience, basically the top four towns go towards medicine or law. You know, they don't go to ministry anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Should go, I guess. Um, and I remember reading a long time ago that the bottom four towns goes into teaching, which is, I think is just the opposite of what it ought to be. I mean, you're entrusted with teaching the minds of your children, you know? And, and uh, so I think that's kind of a comment on society with the money and the prestige and things like that. And I, I'm, I'm lucky to head out to mine where, you know, I'm, I'm with a, a lot better faculty than maybe some schools. Uh, Jeannie Classe up there in the front row, I believe that's her law degree, and chose teaching. We had a pediatrician who left for practice to teach chemistry. So I, I admire things like that where it is obviously a calling of these people. So it's very more a comment than a question. I just think that it's, uh, I wish we could somehow work it that, you know, we could draw some of the best and the brightest, more of the best and the brightest in teaching, rather than just, you know, so much in the law of medicine. Maybe, maybe we're not packaging it right or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd love to respond to that, if I may. Um, one of the things that, that the church and community itself has really failed to do, Maritain once said that community exists for the rescue of person, that it's the job of the community to rally around the individual and help them develop their potential, whatever it may be, which means if the kid growing up says, you know, right now, you know, it, college used to be an investment. Now it's sort of an insurance policy. And rather than saying, well, you've got to go to, you've got to, go to college, what about the guy who said, my passion and my calling in life is to work on old cars. That's just what I want to do. And as great as a liberal arts education is, that's what I want to do. And I'm afraid that uh, the world in which we live in, people would really, you know, unless it was lucrative, um, would, would sort of look down on that as something, something lesser when, in fact, they might end up getting stuck in something uh, that they're miserable in and they're not finding any fulfillment in. So I think that as a community, we need to do a much better job of, of listening, especially to, to students, and, and helping get them into the place that, that God is calling them to be, not what the culture of the world is 
I read a recent survey of parents. I, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was parents with uh, <clears throat> children going into college, and the question was, would you rather your child go to an Ivy League school and be unhappy or go to a state school and be happy, and a majority of them said they'd rather go to an Ivy League school and be unhappy. That's right. Yeah, I was, I was just down visiting my grandmother, and on one visit I was sitting with her by the pool, and there was another lady who had her younger grandchildren around the pool, and my grandmother went up and introduced me, and she said, oh, are those your grandsons? And she said, yes, the lawyer's eight and the doctor's six. She <laughs> <laughs> said it all. I hear what you're saying about the, uh, being the arbiter between a legitimate argument. I think I have a very biased point of view. I have practiced medicine in the city five, four, five times, never settled and never went to trial. Most of the my merit for the firms that do nothing other than litigate any time a public company buys another public company, they're going to file a lawsuit because they're going to try to get something out of it. Not that there is anything legitimate, but they know if they bark loud enough and scream loud enough and do enough deposition, which is what you said, the companies are going to be afraid to go to trial because they're going to be afraid of the jury and they're settle something. I think my very biased opinion is that's what gives into the field for lawyer coaches. Like what you all do and even class attorneys that represent people. I think that's a fair point and that's been a continuing issue since we've been a republic in the United States, unlike in England. You don't have a loser pays on the attorney's fees. It's different over in England, and that's been litigated forever, and they've stuck with that. But one thing I would like to say to you, this concept about can a lawyer be a Christian, lawyers aren't a monolithic group. You know, we've talked about defense trial attorneys, and you talked about plaintiff trial attorneys, but there's a lot of lawyers out there that aren't involved in that type of activity. They're corporate lawyers. They do trust in the states. They work for corporations all sorts of different they do pro bono work they work for uh you know whatever do criminal work so it's not just one group like that and for better or for worse our tradition in the united states has been each person pays their own legal fees and what you're talking about ken is where the plaintiff's lawyer gets a contingency fee and if he or she wins he gets he or she gets a percentage of the recovery if they lose they get nothing and so the theory is that provides legal services to people who've been injured that wouldn't be able to have a lawyer otherwise because they couldn't pay an hourly rate.
you've, you've got your own conflicts and your own issues that, that you're trying to sort out. And uh, but that's why we're here. Uh, so, pretty good. Y'all? Thank you. All right, going for it. Y'all ain't back for them. <laughs>